0: Hi friends, welcome back to the Heart and Hustle Podcast. I am Angelica Yard and I am usually here with my co-host Charisma O'Keefe. We are here every Thursdays recording about business and life and everything in between and balance. You can find us on Instagram at Heart and Hustle Podcast, on Twitter at Heart and Hustle Pod using the hashtag BossOHard. You can review on Apple Podcasts. We have an amazing guest this week so we have spent all of our time talking to her asking her questions about branding and growth in the product uh, market space so feel free to listen to that the reason why you guys aren't getting the normal intro is that we had audio issue issues with our intro and it was all about pumpkin spice latte so it's probably for the best i will take it as a sign as you know i'm anti-psl during the summer so i'm going to take this as a sign and let you guys listen to the episode as is and if you have any questions Feel free to hit us up on social or send us an email at gmail.com and we'll see you guys next week. Hi, guys! Today on the podcast, we have Maureen Wangi here, who is a growth, brand growth strategist from Stewart Council, Consulting. I'm tongue twisted today. Maureen, thank you so much for being here today. And for our listeners who don't who aren't familiar with you and your work, please let us know a little bit about you and what you do and your brand.
1: Awesome, thank you so much for having me. Um, like you introduced me, my name is Maureen Mwangi and I am the brand growth strategist behind some of the most beloved American brands such as L'Oreal, Tribani, Dove and Lay's. But right now I pivoted to start a consulting agency that primarily focuses on teaching product based entrepreneurs the sales and marketing strategies they need in order to scale their beloved product brands into household names.
2: I love that. So you work with so many amazing brands, which like I was blown away when I I first like didn't even like read about the brands that you worked with. I just read about like what you do. And I was like, that in itself was impressive. But then to read that you're doing it for these brands that really are like industry makers and shakers is like, just you're in a whole nother ballgame. And I love to see it. Um, I think that a lot of people when they start out with a business, like they have an idea, they have, you know, a product or maybe a service that they're really great at. And they don't really think about marketing, right? They're like, okay, I need to learn how to legally open a business. Am I going to have an LLC? Like they're really focused on those components of it. And I feel like they get kind of overwhelmed with all that and then don't even think about the fact that, well, now that you have, you know, this product here or whatever, now people need to actually buy it. And it's not just going to be your friends and family and that sort of thing. Like you're going to want to be able to market to a larger group of people. So I think a lot of people make a lot of mistakes when it comes to the beginning of their journey uh, when they're getting into marketing. Um, a lot of people don't even write a marketing plan out. They make a business plan and just kind of forget that section. So what are the top three marketing mistakes that you continually see brands make most often?
1: And the first one that I'm going to talk about is not vision casting. Like you mentioned, a lot of people just have an idea, just register their business as an LLC and they think that they have a business. But they don't sit down to ask themselves, what's the vision of my business? Where do I want to take it? Who do I want to attract? And what's the the, the mission and the purpose behind it? Because oftentimes you have to understand that branding is why people buy you. Marketing is how people find you. Without a very defined brand, without a very defined purpose, without a very uh, defined mission, you will struggle to create a marketing strategy that's very magnetic and a marketing strategy that la- lasts a lifetime. So, number one, vision casting. The second thing is not defining um their brand. You know, um. And oftentimes in the in the small, medium-sized space, branding is not really talked about. A lot of people talk about branding from the logo, design, packaging, stamp from, but they really don't talk about the deeper why, who is buying, what's the emotional connection between your product and the customer, why should they buy you? Because ultimately, good marketing stems from a very good brand identity and a very good brand positioning. The third mistake is literally being on every channel, right? And now in the age where we have access to any single platform we want to have in our businesses, people feel like they need to be everywhere in order to be successful. But honestly, you need to be where your audience actually is, but also understand one channel really, really well and let that one channel give you the results that you want to uh, get initially, then begin to expand.
2: I love that so much. And I love that you talk about being like where your audience is, because I think a lot of people, you know, they get overwhelmed with the idea of like social media or marketing in any way, shape or form. And they're like, oh, I need to be on everything. And it's like, no, if you're marketing to baby boomers, you really don't need to be on TikTok. Like that's not going to benefit you (laughs) at all. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's like, yes, I am like as a you know, as a consumer, technically I am across all platforms, but I think that that probably has more to do with me owning a business. I don't think I'd be on every platform if that wasn't the case. But I don't find myself buying from anywhere except Pinterest and Instagram. Like I, I never see things I'm going to buy and buy them on TikTok. I never see things that I'm going to buy and buy them on Facebook. Um, so you really have to know like who you're going after. Like my mom is someone who will still buy something because it's mailed to her and she gets a flyer in the mail and she sees something and she's like, Oh, I like this. I'm going to go check this out. You know? Um, so it really depends on who your market is and you don't need to be everywhere, but you need to know who you are marketing to. And I think a lot of people get nervous when you say, Hey, you need to like find a niche and you need to find your ideal target client and focus in on that person. They're so worried about everybody else who they might like lose out on. But the reality is, is that if you don't focus in on that target client, then you're going to be losing out on everyone because like you're, you're going to be spending your time marketing to the wrong people who aren't interested in your product. And then you're not focusing your time on marketing to the right people. So really you're going to get no sales at that point. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, you need
1: to be speaking to that one person because that one person comes with 10,000 different people. So Mm -hmm. find that person, speak to the 10,000, and your business will begin to start selling.
0: Actual, factual. I fight with people about TikTok every week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every week I have a conversation about why would we be on TikTok when your core audience isn't on it, so... Definitely yep. appreciate you speaking the word there. So you have worked with a lot of well-known brands and products that people know of, like La Dove, L'Oreal, Frito-Lay. So do you have a favorite project or favorite product that you've worked on thus far?
1: Yes, my favorite project was actually bringing to life the Lay's Ch- Chesapeake Crab Spice uh, product. And I say this because I'm working for a large company like Frito-Lay or PepsiCo, we never had any market share within the crab spice space, and in this in this period of time, I was living in Washington D.C. and I was the um, category analyst supporting the entire Mid Atlantic region. And crab spice is a big deal in the Atlantic region, mm-hmm. and all our competitors <laughs> all our competitors had um, that flavor, but as a, in a, on our company, we didn't have that flavor. So my role was to first of all, I identified a white space opportunity there. Be- began to pitch it to our senior leaders, telling them, hey, we have this opportunity, this is the size of the price, but we're not even playing in this uh, flavor category. So why not try and test out this product? Because I do believe all people in the Atlantic region would receive it very well. Funny enough, the leaders were willing to bet on the insights that I had created. And that product generated so much revenue in a short period of time that I believe
0: now it's actually a permanent skew. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm, I am surprised they didn't have it because that's huge in that area. Like my family's from Baltimore and I actually just moved back to Orlando from Washington, DC. So like, yes, that's like a part of the culture there. Like it's, it's a staple. So I could see how that could do well. And it also speaks to knowing like What's going to do well in a different region, right? Like that might do really well there and like not do well in California. And that's why it's important to know when you're marketing products, like who are you marketing to and where is it going to do well and doing that market research ahead of time. Because when you do that market research, that leads to, like you said, these huge sales and then having these permanent products. So what are the, some of the important steps that a business can take before heading into a retail space? Because I see a lot of people wanting to make that jump um, so that their products can be you know, seen in person, picked up, um, possibly smelled if they have a scent, that sort of thing. And letting like the customer have that interaction with a product. Um, and you have to obviously have a retail space or get into someone else's retail space to do that. But I think that there's a lot that people don't really understand. And there's a lot of people that are jumping from having a completely online business to then having a brick and mortar business. And they're two very, very different things.
1: So when it comes to retail, the first thing that I usually talk about is having a well articulated brand position and unique advantage because... Most of my people usually come and tell me that they want to get into Alta, they want to get into Target or Sephora. But you have to understand that there's so many brands within this retail space. So how can you pitch to a buyer in such a way that he's convinced that your product is the best thing amongst all the other competing products? So really identifying your brand position, what's your unique advantage, and what is it that people like about your product outside of the functional um, components. Because people talk about sustainability, packaging, clean ingredients, but everybody else can say that, but what makes your product unique? The second thing is pricing, right? Ensuring that, first of all, you have the correct pricing or strategy in your business. You have correct margins because when it comes to retail you have to be able to support and fund the quantities that they're going to ask of you but also you have to understand that when a retailer buys from you they don't pay you immediately most of them usually pay you within 30 to 120 days so you have to you have to have the profits you have to have the capacity in your business financially in order to um, meet these demands and then this brings me to capability can you can you deal with the large volumes? Can you can your business handle addi- additional team members or staff members in order to manage that channel? Right. It's one thing to have a desire, but it's another thing to fulfill that desire of being in retail, but actually stay on the shelves of retail.
0: People don't think about all of the things that are required to go into doing, you know, just creating a product, creating a brand, just being receptive to learning and doing what, the work that needs to be done and so you laying all this out I hope everybody has a notebook and is taking notes because these are gems that people pay thousands of dollars for consultants to come in and give them this information so thank you for coming on and giving this yes. to us and our team and our listeners um but yeah what are three things that every brand should do to be successful
1: cool. wow what are three things every brand should do? No big
0: deal. Serve? Small question.
1: <laughs> first, first of all, um, be the voice of your customer. Because as small business owners, we are so concerned about whether people will like our products, whether people will, uh, what people will think about me. And when you operate from that standpoint, you're actually forgetting the person that you're serving. One thing that big brands do very, very well is they are the voice of their customer. They always do everything uh, around their customer. So it's never about the brand name or the brand equity, but it's more about who is that one person who's going to buy our product and they create marketing collateral, they create promos are centered around that person. That's number one. The second thing is Humanizing your brand. And what do I mean? Like literally personifying your brand to feel like a person. As we're recording this podcast, we're coming into an era where everybody wants automation. Everybody's using bots. Everybody is using some sort of technology to deliver their products or their services, but then they forget the importance or, or what also the the value of personal connection, right? When it comes to our marketing, people are just focusing so much on the product but they're not even putting themselves at the center stage of their brand, their business, because that's what people will be connected with. And Brands do that. The thing is, is, you're not going to see the CEO of a big brand running an ad or being on the digital platform. But what those brands do, what we used to do is we, we had a marketing budget where we could play models, we could pay influencers. Those are the people we're using as human beings. So we're humanizing our brand. And then the third thing is, the third thing I would say is making sure that you focus a lot on the emotional connection that your brand is seeking to evoke let's say you're selling a candle why should somebody buy that candle outside of it being soy or clean or easy to burn why should somebody buy that candle and if you can't do this exercise just list down three adjectives that um, would match with your product and begin to share that because people buy based on emotion. And if they don't feel that emotion from a product or a service, they're actually not going to buy.
2: Okay. Yes. Um, emotion is like that much more important. Um, I know Starbucks, which obviously is not like luxury per se, but is really kind of expensive for like a cup of coffee when you think about it. And it's definitely not something you need, right? So Mm -hmm. it's luxury in that sense. And they have their campaign that's like um, that first sip. And Mm -hmm. so it's like that first sip feeling when you're just like having a bad day or like you need to get your day started or whatever it is. And just that moment which really what it is, is probably like all the sugar hitting your bloodstream, right? That's probably what that first sip actually is. But it's so true that it like, oh, it's that little like mini vacation from your day. And so it's selling that emotion of being able to kind of like have that escape for a second and just kind of like enjoy yourself for a minute, which is so important. But then you think of like big luxury brands like Tiffany, right? Mm -hmm. Who have created really this huge persona throughout like culture and history and film and things like that. I know for me, the first time that I went to um, Tiffany, at, or the first time I went to in New York as an adult with my husband, I had told him like, you're buying me some something from Tiffany. I don't even know what it is, but we will leave the store with something. So it's like, I didn't even care what I was getting, but I was like, it's just the emotional experience of visiting that particular store that I've seen on film and having that experience that's tied to those emotions. So it's so important to really sell emotion. I mean, that's you know, that's why we have these commercials that make us cry during the holidays and things Thank like you. that. Yes. Emotion is such a huge part of it. Um, and you know, when people, when a mom sees like a Publix commercial, which is like a local grocery store here and you know, everybody's crying around like the dinner table or having some emotional moment, she's like, Oh, I've got to go get my, you know, food from there for the holidays. Cause I want to recreate that emotional element in my own home. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so important to sell with emotion because if not, then you're just selling like, okay, which is the cheapest or which is, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing that really sets that brand apart. Exactly.
1: It's, and yeah. if you think about brands like Coca-Cola that have been here for ages, oh, yes. they still do the same thing. You pop your Coke and then you get that refreshing drink. Every time it's hot and I'm drained, I always think about Coca-Cola.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's because yes. of that. Yeah. And they've had their their classic Christmas commercials and stuff, too, throughout the year. So it's just Mm -hmm. something that like when I see a for me, when I see like a Coca-Cola bottle, that's like the glass bottles that, you know, you don't see as often now. When I see those, I think of Christmas because I think of like the Santa that used to drink them when on commercials when I was little. So, yeah, it's like it's been a brand for over 100 years Mm -hmm. and they have such strong. Um, I actually use Coca-Cola when I'm talking to clients a lot, because I I say, think about the Coca-Cola logo. And even if you think about it through the decades, it hasn't changed that much. It's been modernized, Mm -hmm. but we know what that brand feels like. And we know what that visual identity looks like. Even, you know, if you've been looking at it in my case for 34 years, Um, but for, you know, my grandfather, you know, had been looking at Coke. He's, he's, passed away now but you know he was 87 and and Coke existed his entire life um and so yeah that branding has been consistent and just has been like modernized and updated throughout the ages um so so it was a clear and consistent brand and you knew what that feeling was going to be and they just kind of kept delivering uh because to that same that same message but just kind of updated throughout the years which is really smart So, as entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs going through a pandemic, you know, we all face tons of challenges. Um, And I think no matter what your situation is, if you are, you know, struggling or if you're making tons of money uh if you have plenty of clients if you are a solo entrepreneur no matter what your situation is you will face challenges as an entrepreneur and i think that that's i think we don't like necessarily want to not face challenges right i think that we know entrepreneurship is going to be a challenge and that's part of why we go into it but it's good to kind of have an idea of like some of the things you might face ahead of time and some ways to uh go about solving those challenges. So what have you found have been the biggest challenges that you have faced so far as an entrepreneur?
1: For me, the first one I would talk about is um, cash flow. And cash flow for me has been big because my business it has, is in a growth stage. And every time you're in a growth stage, you're investing every single dollar that is coming in. So being in a situation where you have extra cash in your business is something that I haven't had a chance to experience. And because of that, it has triggered a lot of limiting beliefs I've had growing up because I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya, where it's either you have money or you don't, right? There's no concept of borrowing uh, money. There's no concept of being in debt. And I really had to understand that that limiting belief was only going to take me so far as as an entrepreneur. And one thing that my mentor taught me is that in order for you to create a breakthrough in your business or to have a radical change, you have to break a rule that's been holding you back. And my biggest rule was a rule around money, safety, certainty, and security, and all those other things I've had to address um, being an entrepreneur, especially during the pandemic. That's from a financial standpoint. The second um, challenge I faced is really how to break through this saturated market. It's like how do you position yourself so that you're not perceived as just another coach or just another consultant, and how do you bring out your unique advantage? And I've really had to sit down with myself, and I finally understood what I needed to do. And it's just being vulnerable because. One thing I learned is people connect to their vulnerability and then buy the credibility. But oftentimes we think that people will people will want credibility first and then vulnerability, but that's not what the market is looking for right now because people feel like they're being scammed.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of like the, uh, the catch 22 to having a a, like social media where everyone can kind of start and, have a platform, it's like, it's great. But at the same time, yeah, people are really looking for credibility because anybody can just jump up and say, hey, I'm so great. And I made a million dollars and you know, this and that. And it's really kind of hard to know, uh, for people to know where to invest their money,
0: basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, like, I I feel like there's so much to be said about financial literacy. And even though you grew up elsewhere, I feel like still Black people in general just are not given because of what we've had to deal with in terms of just colonization and imperialism and white supremacy. And it just affects these people in big ways where we can't keep up. Like we don't have the old money. We have old countries and yet still they are not as rich as these other newer civilizations, newer countries who were coming in and colonizing. And so I think there's something to be said about how like entrepreneurs just always, we have to start. So much further back than everybody yeah, so else. So many of
2: us are starting without generational wealth. And as a young entrepreneur, because I started my entrepreneurship journey at 21, like officially, I started doing stuff towards it when I was 19. I had no idea. I thought that like when I would see, you know, white colleagues like just kind of like take off. I had no idea that like generational wealth was what a lot of them were using. And then later on they'd be like, Yeah, like, you know, my dad gave me like 10 grand or 20 grand or even 5 grand to like start things off and I'm like what like I sold my car to buy my first camera and just didn't drive because I wanted to buy a camera and start my business because that was the only option I had so it's just very interesting to see the differences um in you know kind of like what people are taught financially what limitations are are put on them and I know there's a, like definitely this big effort to kind of like Retrain yourself as an adult with how you think about finances. And I think that's so
1: important. But I think that's um, the people who do that actually really want to understand that concept. A lot of us just want to be in our safety and security cushioned up. So that's one thing that I've noticed that actually breaks my heart. I was like, I wish people understood the benefit of literally managing your money and also thinking like an investor.
0: So for those people who are interested in getting involved in the product market, our young entrepreneurs who are listening, excited, have heard what you said, want to get on, they want to find their, you know, seasoning that's going to change the market, what advice do you have for them who are interested in breaking into that market?
1: First, this this one is a very personal one, and I say it because a lot of people always expect me to lead with strategy, but I really want to lead with um, mindset. It's I really want everybody to rely on their self-confidence, the ability that they can do it rather than their confidence. And I say this because as budding entrepreneurs, we expect that it's going to get to a certain point or a certain day to be confident. And once I'm confident, I can do something. But you have to understand that right now, Your brain has no frame of reference on what it means to be a product-based entrepreneur, what it means to create a luxury brand. So because it doesn't have any frame of reference, it's going to give you all the excuses as to why you shouldn't do it. And the only way for you to get away from that pattern is to really rely on the belief that you can do it and not your ability. Because when you rely on your ability, you're going to get into seasons where you want to be perfect, you're doing a lot of research, you're attending all the free webinars and courses. But when you're constantly in that cycle, you're not making any progress. What you need to do is literally just start.
2: I love that advice. (laughs) Like. I think that I have given that a million times. I always say that, um, what is it, like done is better than perfect, Mm -hmm. Like you can always perfect it later, but you need to start, you need to get it done, you need to get it out there, you need to take the jump. I think that that's hard for a lot of people to do in the beginning, but you're 100% Mm -hmm. right. Like you need to just start. So I love that advice so much. And I'm hoping to see, like, I feel like, you know, we've seen some growth in, in the product market. We've seen like some young creators, especially like young black creatives come out with some really cool products. And so I'm loving seeing that. And I hope we see more of that, go, you know, coming forward in 2022 and beyond. Um, but yeah, so we have less than what? We have about four months left of 2021. Please um, it's it's really going by fast. Um, but you're still moving and shaking and getting things done this year, which I love to see it. So what do you have um, on your plate that you're looking forward to for the rest of 2021? And where can our listeners find you on the internet and kind of follow along with your journey and see what you're up to in your career?
1: First of all, I'm looking forward to having a break. <laughs> <laughs> I, that. I haven't, traveled, um, haven't traveled to see my family in over two years. So I'm really looking forward to having a break in December and getting my wedding planning started. I'm also looking forward to seeing the transformation that my clients will have now that most of them are finishing their first year in the incubator program. We have a few getting into retail, so I want to see the results um, for that. But also, I want to see myself lose the last 10 pounds. (laughs) The COVID weight has taken forever to get get over it, but I'm back to the last 10 pounds. And this is more of a mental game because I'm challenging myself to be disciplined and see the results afterwards and um, lastly where can people find me they can find me on instagram at maureen wangi m-w-a-n-g-i official or they can find me in my facebook group called product entrepreneurs who scale
0: awesome that sounds so amazing and i'm
1: excited that people can
0: Especially with the Facebook group, I think there's so much more opportunity to kind of get in more personally with your group, your community, you know what I mean? So thank you so much for and sharing ask, all of this like, and personal having personal questions,
2: that. which is great, yeah. So please go follow her, go on Facebook, ask those personal questions that you have about your business so that you can scale up because you know we don't bring... Um, like coaches or strategists on this podcast, very often. When we do, we make sure that we vet them, we make sure that they are the best of the best. So, this is someone who uh, we completely trust, and we definitely think that you would benefit from joining her community and following along. So, thank you so much, Maureen, for being on with us today and just shedding so much knowledge and, you know, just dropping so much free information for our listeners. We really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.